famed author Clive Cussler. The hero Dirk Pitt. The total absence of light. Pure absolute black. Touching the various and familiar protrusions until his probing fingers reach their goal. Raise the Titanic. Episode 4. Fuck Alaska and Hawaii. The new normal is you're in a weird spot. Yes. That was actually my amusing story for this episode is a different fire-related story. The building next to my office blew up on Tuesday. What? Did it blow a gas explosion? They're, pre- they're pretty did terrorism? sure- Did you get terrorism? <laughs> they're pretty sure it was a gas leak. It blew out all the windows and all the adjacent buildings. Uh, I'm like one building over from the buildings that got the windows blown out. So technically our building is fine and the firemen let us go in and get our laptops and then leave so we could work from home. Okay, that's very reasonable. Yeah, uh, the old Greek restaurant just exploded Tuesday morning. <laughs> There's a, a joke in there somewhere, but... Um, Possibly. <laughs> what was their health rating? <laughs> um, are, are they finally the victim of the crime that they've been uh, perpetrating? I don't know. It's been closed for like five years, so not good. Oh, okay. So it's not a thriving business that was taken out. (laughs) No, no, no. Was anybody hurt? Three people were taken to hospital, no serious injuries. Hey! And you get like a half day, a story, no injuries, and a place that's already had a business blow up. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds like insurance fraud. (laughs) (laughs) All in all, it was just a very weird morning. (laughs) I crossed the highway. I'm like, why is there a plume of smoke coming from directly ahead of me? Well, there was a crane collapse near my near Jay's work too, and he was like, "Oh, Ooh. might not be able to get home." Crane toppled over. And I was like, "Walk the other way. It's a city. Go around. <laughs> Go on the other side." I swear, like every episode, uh, we get a bit quieter, and the audio feeds that I have to work with in Audacity get a bit quieter. Maybe it's a brain tumor rapidly pressing on the, the hearing section of your oh, brain. Oh shit! That's what it is. Oh, you're right. I'm going to drink until it goes away. Oh, that'll help. I hear that that works with cancer excellently. My uh, new beer for the night that I got from a friend of mine. You are horrible for my sobriety. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It looks like a nice one. Very nice label. Red Collar is one of my favorite local breweries. Like, everything they do is great. And we just always call it dog beer. Because <laughs> their logo is just a little dog. Red Collar? Let me write that. Like, mother-in-law loves. It's pretty local. I doubt oh, you'd even find okay. it on the East Coast, but if you can find it, Red Collar Brewing is my favorite. That could be a nice Christmas gift, because that looks very dark. That's right up there. It looks like a Manhattan Special. Do you ever see, not the gun, the beverage, Manhattan Special? Manhattan Special, typing it up. It's a coffee uh, soda. Ooh, pure espresso coffee soda. I want one. It's oh, that, that's so really good. good. I really want one. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll I'll send you one of these. You send me some Manhattan Special. I can send you a case of those, no problem. Hey, your dog moves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really an action shot. Otherwise, it's been regal pose or just napping. Yeah, <laughs> usually napping. Uh, what's new with you? We babysat a uh, schnauzer this weekend. 
And going from two small dogs to three small dogs is more than I can handle. I want to move away. It was a sweet <laughs> dog. It was elderly. It was perfectly behaved. My dogs were neurotic, jealous assholes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God! I told you. I think last time that we were cat sitting and we had to cat sit again, so we went from two very mellow cats to three very hostile cats. So I get you. <laughs> yeah, that way you can lose skin. Yeah, I wasn't using all of it. It's fine. Oh, okay, that's good. You're only using the the the, the fingertips. The rest can just go. Yeah. That's my, my daughter's trying to get me to take her and a friend to. Some concert, not Taylor Swift, but something like that. I don't get the whole Taylor Swift thing. All of her friends are dying for Taylor Swift tickets. It's the <laughs> most bland, mediocre music. I don't understand. And that's fine. I'm not supposed to. But there was some other bland, mediocre lady she wanted to go to with her friend who just had a huge skin graft. And I was like, this is... No. I will... <laughs> this is not the right environment. <laughs> just no. Her parents are like on the... I'm like, she'll die. I've known this girl since she was four. No. She's in a very fragile place right now. They all think they could, they're all invincible. And that's wonderful. I love that they're in that bubble of safety. <laughs> I can't have a girl dying in my backseat <laughs> after, after yeah. a mediocre concert with girls complaining about their ex-boyfriends. Taken out by Taylor Swift. Right. Uh, Taylor Swift wannabe. <laughs> Even more mediocre? More blend? These kids are being to Kenny G next. <laughs> Sweet. And I tried to uh, offload Oppenheimer onto my in-laws. I'm like, you know, we could have some good times together, make memories, good or bad. <laughs> Did they go for it? No, they fake COVID. <laughs> <laughs> my father-in-law sent me a, a picture of a positive COVID test, and it, you know, in the corner it said for to send to your boss in case you you clearly a photoshopped <laughs> positive COVID test. Excellent. All right, we should start. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's episode of Custler Hustlers. I am Nancy over here. Hi. And over there is co-host Topper. I'm Topper. Hello over here. And tonight we are starting with part two, when actual main characters appear. Uh, section three. Section three. I just woke up. <laughs> section three, the Black Abyss. Chapter 23. I figure we'll get, if my math is right, we'll get up to the end of 29. That felt like a good narrative stopping point to me. But I thought you would be super happy for the beginning of chapter three, because you've been talking about this for the last two months. Take it away. Well, chapter 23, we finally get Al back. Al is yes. sweaty. <laughs> there is never a time where Clive doesn't do this character dirt. <laughs> Pitt sweeps in like James Bond every time. Lightning thunders behind him. He's punctuated by God himself. Al comes in. In a dirty t-shirt, reeking of meatballs, sweating into his eyes. <laughs> not pretty. Re every time, we're just reminded he's not pretty. Yes. But he's in a submersible. There's also a, a few jabs at his girlfriend in this chapter, too. Although that might oh. just be because it's boys will be boys. And there are seven NUMA engineers in a research sub in the bottom of the Atlantic. Yes. So I need you to answer me a question because I only have the audio book. Okay. Is this submarine actually called the Sappho One, S A P P H O? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yes. So it's a it's a bunch of men in the lesbian submarine. Oh, that seems very unconsensual. <laughs> I don't know why they had to number it. Sappho was fine. The Sappho <laughs> One. 
you start naming the sequels. You don't name the original. If it works, they'll make more. If it doesn't work, then, you know. So there's seven guys in something that smells like a tube sock because it's seven guys in a in a tube and they've been there for days and they're deep underwater and they find an unusual shape after insulting each other's girlfriends. Uh, one of them mentioned uh, their mood was flat or something to that effect and then they said, no, just, uh, just Al's girlfriend's chest is flat. <laughs> Which is just so... She's not even there to defend herself. It could have just been an angle. But Al says that's okay because her dad is one of the major East Coast liquor distributors. Don't forget, he drinks. I appreciate the hustle, but come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they all drink. They all drink, but at least... We'll get to that. In this, they do establish that Al knows what he's doing, like he operates sensitive electronics while he's on the submarine and he understands what's going on. So they establish he's technically savvy. So he's one of those dirtball guys that you can always call upon to fix shit at the last possible minute. You got to have that in a sidekick. Sure. We had a television repairman guy growing up who did that. He was always like that kind of guy and he traded uh, penguins illegally as well. <laughs> that's that. That's a weird way to phrase that. <laughs> He lived with his mom. He was a real cat. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. He lived with his mom? Yes. You'll have to trust me on that one. Anyway, what do they find? They find a funnel, or they think it's a funnel, and they get closer. And there's a lot of... Clive has been having a lot of rapid-fire uh, chapters up until this point. But right right now, in this part three, he feels comfortable. He's starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah. And he's getting really into his adjectives. I feel like he dropped a quaalude. I have some notes that, that we're, we're no longer in a thriller. We're back to being in a Clive Custler book. It really slows down a, a couple of times here. He put on his fuzzy slippers. He's he's basking in this story now. He's All of his words, all of his techno babble, which oh, isn't he, really babble. I, that's unfair. He, but He's going to nerd out about naval history here. Oh, yes. But they find a funnel and then they, it turns out it's a tuba-like <laughs> instrument and then it gets closer yep. and it's a coronet. Yes. And they have it on a claw. So this is like an underwater, a deep sea claw machine mm -hmm. that they're wrangling this tuba-like uh, instrument with. So the, the highest stakes claw machine ever. <laughs> because they know if they miss it, they'll never find it again in the dark underwater at the bottom of the ocean because they only found it because there is the tiniest possible ping on the magnetometer. Yes. The brass in the instrument set it off because of some ferrous metal on the mouthpiece. Which nobody asked, Clive. Nobody asked how they found it. You didn't. We got it. They found the the coronet. Speed of plot, we believe you. You don't have to put in the the metal detecting stuff. <laughs> I just realized how fast we're bouncing forward. They don't find the coronet until until chapter twenty four. Chapter twenty three is all just establishing seven men in a submarine on the bottom of the ocean, and they it, it goes into a flashback when they're meeting with Sandecker three months ago, and then it flash forwards again. After like a flashback parlor scene, and we establish that they've been on the submarine for fifty days, seven weeks at the bottom of the ocean. It's got to smell wonderful. And all I could think of is what happened to submarines in that time, because they have the phrase, "Why would an aircraft company know about designing a deep sea submersible?" Which is hilarious after the whole undersea explosion. Oh yes, carbon fiber. I would be most upset to find out that it leaks at fourteen thousand feet. There's a lot of great lines that are just absolutely horrible. Prescient. I loved reading. Oh, that was awesome. He'd be really upset. And then real, somebody clarified, real, um, real terrified, more like it. 
There's also some mention that at the last possible minute, they were moved off of their mission to the Grand Banks just south of Newfoundland, and they don't know why. They don't know why, but they must know why, because it's happened so many times at this point. Oh, God, yeah. Al's got to be like, <laughs> great, this is going to end in a concussion. I'll be dragging my friend <laughs> bloodied through some country. I'm going to get assassinated again, aren't I? More CTE, possibly cracked rib. It always happens when they're ambivalent about a mission. <laughs> If it's not life and death, we just don't care. And, and when it is life and death, they're not going to give you the details until it's almost too late. Which sounds like the U.S. government. So on the one hand, those two chapters were really long and involved. Like it, They play it for like life and death action when they're trying to grab that coronet. But on the other hand, all they do in these two chapters is find a coronet. Yes. You sum it but up. They found a trumpet in the bottom of the ocean. The end. <laughs> they did. They're very excited about it. It was harrowing getting it on board. Many, many words were devoted to the underwater claw machine action. They yes. went left, they went right. They're sweating, their hands are shaking. The, the clasp of the claw closed. I'm making the closing motion with my hands like a claw machine. <laughs> they got no teddy bear, but eventually they got the coronet. From there, one guy was in marching band, and now he's a nerd on a boat. What a thunk. <laughs> but he was able to identify it as a coronet and not a tuba or a violin or a piano. <laughs> That'd be great finding a piano down there. Well, there's probably more than one. And then we get to the chapter 24. 24 is just the coronet. Oh, okay. 25 is we are back on the tin goose from Iceberg. Oh, right, yes. Dirk Pitt has finally officially arrived in yeah. this book. He's not framed by Mother Nature. And weather's taken out of it, but he's back with Seagram. He lands in Washington in the Ford Trimotor that saved the day at the end of Iceberg. Bought it for a song. Uh, he does an amazing job landing. They really describe how his landing was just perfect. Everybody says so. It was the perfect landing. When was the last time you picked up the phone and had an absolutely perfect phone call? I hear every time that happens, you get an ovation at the airport. It's like bowling 300. People cheer. <laughs> oh, perfect. Nobody died. He taxis to a Numa hangar, and there is a frantic little man waiting for him. Yes, the frantic little man is is Seagram, and he's there to eat crow, but not really. He doesn't even he doesn't even make mention of pissing Dirk Pitt off in the past. He doesn't mention Dirk Pitt respects God doing the exclamation points. Yeah, and Dirk's like, yeah. Dirk actually thinks, yeah, like good job. Like that was in the past. Let's not dwell. You're here for a reason. We're men after all. And he like completely psychoanalyzes him. And of course he's right because he's dark and he has gut knowledge. But Seagram has an auspicious proposal. The fate of the nation hangs on his on his cooperation. How could Dirk say no? Because we get like the fourth, fifth, and sixth time that they say, raise the Titanic. Raise the Titanic. Raise the Titanic. Raise the Titanic. <laughs> You're keeping count of every time they say the title. I've lost track. I'm keeping count of sexy secretaries, but we don't really get any in this section. <laughs> well, no, no. Oh, no, wait, we do. Vogel has one. That's right. Must be, I, wow, it must have just washed over me, like internal misogyny. It, it was uh, one paragraph at the end of chapter 26. Oh, <laughs> I took notes on that one. <laughs> That's but, yeah. very meticulous note-taking for your secretary countdown. <laughs> Seagram hops up into the airplane because that's a lot more dynamic than having Dirk get out, I guess. 
and they have a talk about finding the Titanic and Dirk finally raises the point like it's impossible the technical requirements the cost the legal battles and secret was like we have 200 scientists working on the technical aspect the costs will all be funded by shady government agencies and under maritime law finders keepers so the French can stay out of this yes and when Dirk presses about like where the money would be coming from he's told don't worry just come up with a number and he comes up with an astronomical number oh yeah uh, later on he he says, uh, I think 250 million. And Seagram's like, let's call it 500 million. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like when you take kids to an ice cream parlor. Which was a wild number in the 70s. And he's like, get all the toppings you want. Sprinkles and gummy worms. Go bananas. <laughs> bananas on top. <laughs> and the kid explodes. Both ways. And... Always have paper towels in your car as parents. <laughs> Always. And the line I liked is... Dirk's still not convinced. He's like, nah, this is stupid. Until Dirk says, you don't think I can do it, do you? And Seagram says, frankly, no. And then Dirk's like, all right, I'm going to find it just to prove to you that I can find it. Like, as soon as he's told he can't do it, he has to do it. Which is the temperament of a, of an irrational child or a psychopath if you're a grown man. Well, I was going to say, I've got a story about my wife like that, but now I don't want to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> okay, so years ago when uh, my wife was starting out uh, in college, now that we were settled, I was making okay money, she could go back to college, and uh, she was talking with one of the counselors there and how she wanted to go into the forestry program. And the counselor just says, are you sure you want to go into forestry? It's a little bit. And then just looks my wife like head to toe to head and goes, physical. <laughs> and my wife is like, okay, first of all, fuck you. Second of all, I'm going to get straight A's. And she did. What's from her? What a powerhouse. Yeah. <laughs> you don't tell my wife she can't do something. Like somebody told her online she couldn't fix our dryer. She fixed our dryer immediately afterwards. Oh, yes. Yes, so she did. there is a sort of personality who doesn't like being told no in a very specific way. Within the realm of possibility, the professor didn't say, this program is tough, you'll have to amputate your leg. Because she would have been like, no, that's crazy. Yeah, that that's too far. <laughs> or this course is very tough, you have to steal a shingle from the Imperial Palace in China. Like, no, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. This is... The walled city of China is gone. We cannot <laughs> cannot go back in time and steal the, the shingle. This is more specifically somebody saying, like, I doubt your your competency to do this. And some people just get their back up and they're like, oh, fuck you. Normally, I would say, yeah, that, but it's basically, go hunt Bigfoot. Bring me back his pelt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think Dirk he can is, do it. Dirk is being given something ludicrously impossible. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess there's some first. difference there. Go go to Loch Ness, find Nessie, skin her alive, make, her, make some boots, boom. I don't think you can do it, Dirk. And Dirk's like, no, you're a fucking asshole. It makes sense. I'm going to find the Loch Ness. There better be a, 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 it just occurred to me, there better be an undersea monster in one of these, like in one of these Dirk Pitt novels, even if it's just like they make it a running gag, like, oh, there's a sea monster down here. And they're like, oh, it turns out the sea monster was just like a submarine with eyes painted on it. But like at the very end of the book, they see the sea monster and they like wave at it and it swims off or something. There better be a sea monster in one of these. I want Clive Custler to have gone crazy and put a sea monster in. I told you, I during the pandemic, I wanted to mess with my kids a little bit because I was going nuts because they were being homeschooled. Uh, so I told them I don't believe in fish anymore, only sea creatures. <laughs> I went on for months. 
technically true? <laughs> there's no such thing as fish. It's a conspiracy. So, so this was just your version of there's no such thing as birds? Yes. Inspired by that. Excellent. Which is very much fun. I, it's a, <laughs> a, a good way to live. It's just be intoler intolerably insane and then people have to cater to you. Fish or a hoax. Which is what Dirk is doing here. He's like, yeah. Yeah. I'll get the Titanic. I'll show you. And then at the very end, he's like, now buy me a drink because I just had a long flight. And the guy's defeated. He's like, yeah. did he just say yes? That makes me unhappy somehow. <laughs> so th these two do not bring out the best in each other. Oh, God, no. Which I kind of like that. Like, they're adversarial, but they're both kind of on the same side. So it's a bit more of back and forth than we've gotten in the previous two. Like in the first book, Dirk was just kind of adversarial with everyone. In the second book, he was adversarial with everyone except Sandecker, I guess. That's the one person he respects. And in this one, so far, all we've seen of Dirk is him killing people and then arguing. It's all he's done. He's barely in the book. And the first thing he does is kill a dog in a, in a, ru a rusky yeah. and disappears until a lightning beckons him. <laughs> But now he has like a sit-down adult conversation. But because he's Dirk Pitt, it has to happen in the cockpit of a Ford Trimotor. With no rum, no mention of whiskey or brandy or chartreuse at all. So I, I admire his restraint. <laughs> well, that's how it ends. When he says, now buy me a drink. Yes. But they can't go the whole chapter without drinking. But they didn't start drinking. Don't drink while flying. Drink before and after flying. It's very important rules. Only one during for the road. <laughs> has to keep you awake. That uh, Manhattan special, you know? Both kinds. Well, one puts you to sleep and one puts you... One wakes you up. Oh, that reminds me. You should, and I should do this too, have a post-it note with like a phone number or something that you don't have to give me now. I don't have to give you... Like if you have a heart attack, I can't... You're wearing earbuds. I can't scream to your family members. Like if <laughs> something goes wrong, I can't alert anyone and vice versa. I guess that's true. All right. Just get the local police phone number and... Eventually, like, have it in a post-it. If you're having a heart attack, just put it in the camera. Well, I'm pretty sure if I'm having a heart attack, about five minutes later, one of my kids is going to ask me for popcorn. So they'll find me. Oh, okay. <laughs> they should be able to make popcorn. They're going to come to you for a ride and for money. <laughs> yeah. No, don't make their own popcorn. That's fine. Anyways, uh, now we get two whole chapters where we meet a brand new character who exists only in these two chapters. We meet Vogel. Who's very tall. Yes, he's even bigger than me, folks. Real life, very big. He's six foot five. He's very kindly. He's kind of Santa-esque. And by chapter 27, he smells like a wino and hasn't slept for 24 hours. But we'll get to that. Chapter 26 is he's given this mysterious shitty coronet that's covered in mud. And he's like, oh, I'll that's get- Just in a sack on his desk. Yeah. He's like, no labels. I'll get, I'll get one of my techs to handle this. But then he immediately gets a phone call in his office from Sandecker, who name drops the president. That's how you get things done. Sandecker's not an idiot. Name drop the president. Yeah. Get that table at the restaurant or get your coronet restored overnight. Yeah. So he starts the restoration process. But first he has to talk to his sexy secretary. We're at number five now. And he specifically orders. Oh, yes. Yes. A medium pizza with Canadian bacon. And half a gallon of, I missed whatever it, he was ordering. I don't know if it's beer or wine, but a pizza with Canadian bacon and half a gallon of wine. It was dark. It was red wine. Okay. So, <laughs> Pinot Noir or something like real thick, like gravy wine. 
<laughs> this is a man who knows how to work. This, this is a wine you have when you're sitting on a wooden ta at a wooden table with a king. Like this wine is meant for stew, like for men. It's manly. <laughs> you're going to be ossified after a tablespoon wine. So he gets <laughs> really prepared to work with this historical artifact by getting completely soused. One of the only two kinds of wine I like, because I don't really like wine, and red wine always had a weird smell that made me like not like it. But I like light, fruity, sparkling wines that I can have a whole bunch of. And I like the wine equivalent of Guinness that you can stand a spoon up in. <laughs> I imagine this to be that kind of wine. And also, like a lot of velvet was around while he was drinking it. Well, yeah. <laughs> no reason. It wasn't in the show. It wasn't in the uh, notes. But we can assume. Of the time. Of the time. There must have been a lot of fabric and, and it goes without saying it's 1987 everyone's hair was yes poofy <laughs> and then we time skip forward to chapter 27 it's the next morning and a vogel who has not slept is rushed in to meet sandecker yes he looks like 20 miles of bad road yes his very nice suit is wrinkled and we're led to believe he had all the wine i don't yes. know how he's functioning <laughs> but he's very excited and rudy and Rudy Gunn and Dirk Pitt are there. And he brings forth the artifact. Yes. And he shows, they can't believe it. They were like, this is not what we gave you yesterday. Sandecker is like, I have no time for games. What are you doing, man? And he goes, no, no, this is the thing you, you took from the ocean and gave to me yesterday. This is it restored. And it's very elaborate. It's in perfect condition. Extremely perfect. More yes. perfect than is reasonable. Yeah. And it's got rolling waves on it. And it is from the Titanic. They can prove it because it was stamped by the manufacturer, which was Boozy Hawks, in London in October of 1911. And it was engraved and it was presented to Graham Farley by the Grateful Management of the White Star Line. And this uh, musical instrument restorer, restorer knew the name and double-checked it anyway to be certain. So he made a, a late-night call with a, a historian and confirmed that the man who owned the coronet and the coronet went down on the titanic the only white star vessel to be in transport on the dates indicated it is because the journal there was an earlier a journal referenced in last episode that was dropped off so we oh, know yes. about the date the dates that this uh the shipment was packed up on a, on a boat of some kind the journal of uh of brewster the miner Yes. So we, we know the dates. He packed it up. And because of the White Star reference, he narrowed it down. So they're sure. The unobtainium can only be in the Titanic. And by unobtainium, <laughs> I mean Byzanium. <laughs> and it, it was here that I don't know if it hits differently in the book as opposed to the audiobook, But every time somebody says the Titanic... There is this awe and this reverence and everybody freaks out whenever anybody mentions the Titanic. And I have to assume that these revelations hit a lot harder in 1976 because where we are now in 2023, we've had a Titanic movie. We've got pictures of the Titanic. It's busted into a few pieces. There have been memes made on it. There's that whole if Titanic was made by J.J. Abrams or Jerry Bruckheimer video. People don't care about the titanic anymore where we are now but in 76 everybody's acting like they found jesus wearing nikes like everyone loses yeah. their mind at the word titanic it's interesting that i 
I can get on board with because everything was so fucking boring. It was the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> it wasn't I even the 80s when this book came out. This book was 1976. Yes, he, he's projecting into the future. He doesn't even know how wonderfully kitschy the 80s will be. He's still in his timeline of nothing is, nothing is happening. Just oh, yeah. But there is nothing... Dis Discord in the Middle East. Nothing more mysterious and nothing cooler than the Titanic in 1976, which is kind of neat just to read everybody freaking out about it. Something they wouldn't think about day to day. But if it came up, <laughs> if there was a National Geographic special about it, and in the same vein, a special about Bigfoot or Nessie or any episode of Unsolved Mysteries, people were captivated by that. The, the unknown. I think once they found out where it was, once the world's can see it the mystery evaporated some and i think the movie satiated a lot of what ifs and it just filled in the gaps even if it's unintentional people like yeah. oh yeah titanic people think of it more as a movie now it's no longer this amazing mystery now it's this amazing common knowledge yes it's like the ninth time they landed on the moon and the ratings were low you know it's like they found um amelia Earhart's belongings on an island so we're pretty sure when and where she died. <laughs> oh, there she is. But nobody likes to talk about that because we'd rather, oh, she mysteriously disappeared. Mm -hmm. Well, they found the artifacts like 2016, 2017, something like that. I think I heard about that. I don't really, that's cool. She had, well, yeah. I half remember that. But it is not in a way. Like it's like, no, she vanished. She's <laughs> the vanished. Don't find her. She's vanished. <laughs> We had a, a similar conversation last night at uh, my local writing group. I forget how we got on the topic. They were talking about uh, something that uh, one of the people's characters was doing. And it was brought up that uh, John Hankley Jr., the man who shot Reagan, did so to get the attention of Jodie Foster, the actress. And he thought like, man, shooting Reagan will definitely like, she'll notice me then. She did admit she was impressed. Yeah. <laughs> and... Something nagged at my memory and I had to Google it. And it was only last year in 2022, John Hinckley Jr. is out on unconditional release. Like he's just a regular person in society now. Like he has no uh, restrictions. Well, he can't shoot Reagan again. No. And also he is rehabilitated. Uh, there has been, a, a, I think, more written on his uh, psychoanalysis than anybody else in recent history. And he gives talks about how he was crazy back then and now he's just like a guy. He's a musician. He has music on YouTube. It's pretty good. But he's just like a guy. And he, he was crazy and he got help and he got out and he's okay now. How can you tell who's sane and who's insane? But it's weird. You, know, you don't think of the guy who shot Reagan was a long time ago. And like, oh, wait, last summer during COVID, he got out and he has like an apartment and a girlfriend. Yes. I remember when he got out, he had to move in with his parents for supervision briefly. Yes. For a, a period for to satisfy legal terms. And then he was on his own. And I think he, he ruined the uh, insanity defense for the U.S. after that. They they really buttoned that up. Yeah. Because he, he was declared insane. And after that, they were like, no, these crazy people in their loopholes, we have to. <laughs> They're just going to keep shooting presidents. We have to zip this up. <laughs> the insanity defense was okay until they shot a president. Yes. And then we can't have that. But it was crazy. And unfortunately, a bad shot. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I was going to leave that to the Americans. <laughs> Jay's uncle is a doctor, and he's before this is before I I met the family. But he's famous for saying 
when he was notified, like his, his office mate said, oh, the president's been shot. And he was like, is he dead? His office mate said, no. And he's like, pray for infection. And that was Boston. <laughs> yeah. Some things never change, I guess. <laughs> the fallout of Reaganomics has been great. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let's move on chapters or else we'll be here all day. <laughs> yes. I, I can curse Reagan until dawn. <laughs> Unless we want to curse Reagan. Because I'll get out my Ouija board. We can, I'll get him in the room. I rambled about Vogel for two chapters. So do you want to take it for chapter 28 where uh, we are once again apparently back in a thriller? One second. No, now. <laughs> it wasn't very long, but a, a shitload happens. Oh, yes. This is where we learn the name of the society that Seagram and Donna work for is the Meta Section. Well, we've known that for most for most of the book. Oh, this uh, I must have fallen asleep reading this chapter because it is <laughs> erased from my oh, memory. Dear. Uh, do I have to take this one? <laughs> uh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> so we get three men on the. I wrote down Wappahammock River because I have no idea what they said, but I know all the rivers in Washington kind of sound like that. That is how it's. That's how I've heard it. And we have three men who are fishing and one is just like staring at the water. One's asleep on a magazine and one great big, huge fat guy is just like standing proud on the prow of the boat and being like, ah, this is the best. And that's Admiral Joseph Kemper, the Naval Chief of Staff. And Sandacker is the one who's asleep and Seagram is the one who's pretending to fish. And they have some witty banter. Yes. And then they tell Kemper that they're raising the Titanic. Raise the Titanic. And He's gobsmacked. He's like, okay, Sandecker, you've always been a little high strung. You're insane now. What are we actually doing? And then he he also asked for the salvage vessel, the Modoc, which is the most technically advanced salvaging vessel the Navy has. Isn't it? And he wants the crew. And as we is the Modoc gets what he wants. Also spelled M O D O K, as in the uh, Marvel character. M O D O C. Ah, okay. Not quite a reference to comic books, but all right. Not everything can be cool. <laughs> we'll have to be happy with the Sappho uh, submarine. Yes, the seven guys in a Sappho. Yeah. <laughs> and they're semen. <laughs> oh, Marge, grow up. Well, that's terrible. I can't believe you laughed at that. I cannot believe you laughed. It was the lowest hanging fruit. <laughs> I'm not laughing because I want to. I'm laughing because it's stupid. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't have said that while you were drinking water. <laughs> I almost went through my notes. Yeah. There's a movie, uh, let's play another game of Nancy trying to remember a movie. The character <laughs> plays Santa. It came out recently. He was on Stranger Things. Violet Knight. Oh, uh, yes. Shocking. I like violence in movies. It, play violence, like over the top. This was shockingly violent. <laughs> At one point, I haven't like, seen it, and I really want to. The villain goes, I know you're going to be stupid, just don't be stupid out loud. <laughs> Crack me up. <laughs> it's a great line. I know the bad guy is John Leguizamo, and he's always amazing. Oh, he's so he's so much fun. He looks like he's having the best time in that movie. He's chewing the scenery. He might as well be gnawing on ham as he's having it up. <laughs> uh, the big movie in my family right now is Moulin Rouge. Because my wife was outraged that the version that they have, I guess, on Netflix chops out like 15 minutes and three songs. Oh. So we got the extended edition DVD of Moulin Rouge, 
And my younger two kids and my wife are just watching it on repeat. And if you want to see John Leguizamo chewing the scenery as though it's his only source of nutrients and he'll die without it, <laughs> watch Moulin Rouge, the, the extended version. I didn't version. know he was in it. <laughs> Good. Wow, I didn't expect him in that movie at all. Good for nope. him. He's in it and he's amazing. He's just, I love him in everything he's in. Yes. He should be in this book. He should be in this <laughs> book. He is handsome as Dirk Pitt. Maybe yeah. not as tall. I have no idea. He's a movie star. He's probably pocket-sized. Admiral Kemper, who they just called Joe for the rest of the chapter, is just like, this is stupid. You guys are insane. You can't raise the Titanic. And Sandecker points to Seagram and says, this is the man who talks quietly and carries one hell of a big stick. And Seagram like, has the authority from the president, says he has 10 figures to play with, says they have a billion dollars to play with to raise the Titanic. And I also like how everybody in this book at the mention of the president is just like, oh, God, the president. And I feel we're no longer in that time. Yes. And today, today. <laughs> we are recording uh, this. <laughs> and we're recording this on a day before president's mugshot came out. Yes. Because he's arrested for all the crimes. <laughs> uh, the 38, 39, 39 uh, counts. And then the current president visited a the scene of a devastating fire in Maui, forgot where he was, and kind of fell asleep on stage. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Because he's a jillion years old. Oh, he it is. Was, it is elder abuse at this point. It is not... Just let him go home. <laughs> he's tired. He's so very tired. He's, he's, he's so tired. And don't, don't make him run again. America is defined by one single word. Pasta. That's who we are as a nation. They're, they're going to run him again, even if he's embalmed. And I'd vote for him over the other guy. But I would like some <laughs> non-octogenarians running. Lesser of two evils. Lesser of two evils. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, uh, now in, in chapter 28, we... Evil of two lessers. <laughs> now in chapter 28, we finally get what the hell the Sicilian project is. It's a missile defense system. They want to... Use the Byzanium to create a missile shield. Yes. It emits a broad fan of sound waves that self-amplify as they travel through the atmosphere. So the further away it gets, the stronger it gets. Until it creates like an impenetrable 100 miles wide shield that no missile can pass through up in the atmosphere. And they're going to have these going all the way around the country because fuck Alaska and Hawaii but it will protect mainland America from any possible attack. And they do not care what it does to the ocean. That never comes up. <laughs> well, no, they say at at ground level, it, it doesn't sound like anything. It'll sound like distant thunder. And you always know that these military skunk works are absolutely correct. So there's no side effects. That was at ground level. I believe them. Fine. To the human on ground level, it's, it sounds like distant thunder. To the fish? To the little sea creatures? <laughs> Or, so they, or got a every dollars. single bird? <laughs> Unlimited budget. The ability to kill all sea life. Why go with this project instead of nationalized health care? <laughs> what could have been done? Well, because it's very important that you stop the Russians. Well, we must stop the Russians. <laughs> what good is having, um, you know, a, a happy country if the Russians just, you know, nuke us one day? Because that's, you know, what they'll do. Because they're Russians. They're foreign. Well. I'm waggling my fingers. <laughs> Yes, it was very spooky. Double waggle. <laughs> the tracks with 1980s America, Clive got this right. He is a futurist. 
unlimited budget to go after something that has a very limited value. But the the limited value is immunity to nukes. So that's not full truth. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not. Like they didn't cite the sources. Yeah, no, he wrote this in 1976, but he still predicted the 80s Cold War pretty damn good. I think pretty good. And the president was still. I remember, and you don't have to edit this out because I think he died. When I was in grade school, second grade, Michael Bradley went to go visit Washington D.C. with his parents, and he got to shake Ronald Reagan's hand. And I remember being so jealous. <laughs> it was kind of a turnip of a kid. And he got to meet the president. But that was the president. It was such a big deal. He was like everybody's dad or grandpa. Which is, looking back on it, I was six or seven. That's a child's view of the world. It should not have also been the adult's view of the world. <laughs> but it was. People were like, oh, it's dad. He's in charge. It's a Reagan. It's the president. So when someone said... The president said this, or I'm here by order of the president. It did have gravitas. It was important. Is it? And that lasted a little bit longer, right up until George Bush, one, said they busted a crack addict outside of the uh, White House. And then credibility kind of uh, snowballed downward from there. Yeah. Clinton. Yeah. Clinton did things too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this chapter ends with like the first point of view shift in, in a chapter we've had like every single chapter has had one one point of view from start to finish but now for no apparent reason we skip to Dirk Pitt sitting in the office at Meta section and he's reading Brewster's journal so now he's recapping everything that happened in, in chapter 22 with the Byzantium and the French and the assassins and the Titanic and all that and this is where he negotiates half a billion dollars with Brewster to raise the Titanic. And it's just like a few paragraphs, but we just have to bring Dirk up to speed because he has no idea what's going on. Um, he does what like a contractor does when he doesn't want to redo your bathroom. He says, okay, this 27 square foot bathroom is going to be $3 million. Because <laughs> that's a fuck off number, right? <laughs> You're not going to call me back. And Dirk throws out the number, gets double, and he's like, well, and as we established before, he's going to do it. He's going to raise the Titanic. Raise the Titanic. Because now he has infinite money. And then they picked up a tuba-like device, so they kind of know where the Titanic is. It should be easy peasy from here on out. Al's on the case. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they'll send uh, Al back down in the lesbian submarine and find it. There's something very disturbing about you saying lesbian submarine, and I <laughs> cannot tell you what it is, but it's it's wrong. <laughs> it's against I, nature. I have to... <laughs> I have to end this episode with the Engelbert Humperdinck song, Lesbian Seagull, now. Engelbert Humperdinck? Okay. That's a song from that guy. That's, that's the only song of his I know. Probable. <laughs> it was really big in the early days of the internet when a million people realized, oh, wait, there's a guy called what? And he has a song called what? So for a brief period on the early internet days, everybody had that MP3. <laughs> I did not. I, that missed me. I must have been taking a nap. But the... Wow, Engelbert Humperdinck, that's a name I haven't heard of forever. And yeah. he wrote, what's, this is new. This is like <laughs> me seeing the double rainbow. This is news. I'm so happy. I'll, I'll see how much of the song I can use uh, without paying royalties. We're checking it for Engelbert Humperdinck. <laughs> All right. And I was hoping we would end on chapter 29, which is short, but there's a lot of good stuff in it. Yes. They're, they find out that the Soviets know the codename Sicilian defense. 
and they are pissed off. We have the president who is meeting with Warren Nicholson, the director of the CIA, and Collins, his Russian advisor. And at first they're angry that they, you know, don't know what the Sicilian project is, but they're more concerned that they found out about it through the KGB, through their through their spies in the KGB, they heard about the Sicilian project. Yes, and that is concerning for the president. It didn't go through the normal channels. And then the president turns on, or seems to turn on the Sandecker plot. Yeah. He seems to be going with I'm the CIA guys. I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. So the CIA guys, they want to feed uh, a bit of information to Russian naval intelligence, who's investigating this, the Sicilian project. And if they take the bait then we own their intelligence gathering service. I don't see how that... And I don't know how they do that. <laughs> but now we have the... That sentence is doing a lot of work without any questioning. <laughs> yes. I just have written down, uh, how? And the president see. feels like he's backstabbing his meta-section friends, and he's like shrinking into his chair, and he feels bad, but he agrees to get uh, Seagram and Brewster to write a report, and the CIA will arrange to have it delivered to the KGB, and the president withers into his chair and says if they're found out, they'll be branded as traitors. And like, what? why is any of this happening? <laughs> and for no reason at all, half of Guatemala dies. Because that's what 80s politics is. <laughs> <laughs> and now backstabbing, for no reason. <laughs> yes. Like, there's not even a profit motive here. They're not going to make money off of this. They're going to feed information to the Russians about their only defense against the Russians. Why? For what purpose? And <laughs> what will this Kassler do? loves details. He loves. He will tell you the color of a hydrofoil that the assassins are about to be exploded on. We don't yes. need to know that it's about to be exploded. It could just be the the boat that explodes. But he will tell us the serial number on the engine. For this chapter, no details. Yes. How they do we, it? Why? No details for you. We just have to get more backstabbing. We have to get more intrigue. And like now we've established that the Americans have spies in the Russian uh, intelligence. And earlier on with Prevlov, we established that the Russians had spies in American intelligence. So now we're all going to be wondering, wait, which one's the spy? What's going on here? Which I think was a mandatory part of these 1970s action adventure spy novels was not knowing who to trust. Yes. And then uh, it feels like he every once in a while an evil twin. <laughs> he saved all of that up for this chapter and it really just kind of comes out of nowhere. And he ends it abruptly, and you get no more details. You have to yeah. go into chapter 30 without knowing why the president withered into, into his chair. Is it just because he's not sending vaccines to some impoverished country? Because Pfizer says, no, don't do that. Possibly. But no, he's got feelings. Yeah. He's caught in his fees right now. He's got feelings, but he's going to ignore them while drinking brandy. Honestly, that shows restraint. It's not straight vodka. It's very presidential. <laughs> vodka? What are you, a Russian? <laughs> Everclear. Moonshine. No one drinks Russian in this book. No one drinks vodka <laughs> in this book. <laughs> if you love America, you drink moonshine. Drink. I've had a very large beer tonight. I can't get my words out. The um, the Russian's almost cool guy. The guy that was exploded in his plane this week. Oh, <laughs> Yes. Uh, oh, God, Alex what's his name? Spigny? All I know is I've seen so many memes about that. Yvagny Prigozhin. Prigozhin, yes. Prigozhin. Uh, there was a, there's a comedian named Laurie Kamarin on Twitter, which is now <laughs> X, which is so dumb. I know who that is, yeah. 
<laughs> she said, "The Jackie and Laurie." Wow, show. I didn't know planes could fall out of windows. <laughs> oh, I saw that tweet. That was good. Like, and perfect. It was so perfect. <laughs> my my first thought when I heard that he died in a plane crash because I was also thinking pushed out of a window. My first thought was that episode from the very first season of Family Guy where it just has Peter on an airplane and he's just like staring at the emergency uh, escape hatch handle on the airplane and he's just like he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking and then he pulls the handle and just gets sucked out and then there's a really long shot of like you're in the sky the airplane's flying overhead and then Peter just falls by just going and that scene makes me laugh every time and I saw somebody tweet that and I was like yes somebody else out there gets me <laughs> there's a twin somewhere separated at birth that made that it's on a plane with that guy there were nine other passengers I don't care if that's my dad he travels alone it was a private plane and at least one of the other guys was a higher up in the Wagner group so who knows how many innocent people were on board but yeah Everyone's pretty sure that that was Putin saying, you know, here's what you get for backstabbing me. And the president from this book should remember what happens when you backstab him. Time will tell. Yeah. You don't backstab Dirk and get away with it. I hope Dirk, I bet Dirk punches out the president. <laughs> that seems like yes. something Dirk would do. Well, the president has been established as a lech, so he's got enough street cred to punch him. So he, he's not the perfect president that everyone is awed by in the books and when the hush comes over them oh the president angels sing that kind of thing he doesn't he doesn't seem to be affected by that no we're finally finding uh his his weaknesses and it's doing whatever the cia says that's uh that that also tracks for american presidents yeah <laughs> i bet they have dirt on him oh yeah probably Sister. i'm just gonna let you go now because i'm so tired. I'm going to pass out. Okay, yeah. I'm going to let you go. Okay. <laughs> Have a great night. Enjoy the rest of your very dark beer there. Oh, no. It's all gone. I'm going to bed now. Woo. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's early, though, isn't it? Like eight? What time is it? It's, time is it's almost oh. nine here. So, I mean, it's almost midnight there. Yeah. Okay. So You go get some sleep. You too. Good night. Good night. And good night, listeners, wherever you are. She flies so gracefully. Over rocks and trees and sand Soaring over cliffs And gently floating down to land She proudly lifts her voice To sound her mating call And soon her mate responds By singing call, call, call Come with me Lesbian seagull Settle down and rest with me This has been Custler Hustlers. Your hosts have been Topper and Nancy. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Custler Hustlers. Hustlers.